0: glad to see all of you who braved the elements today and made it. I was nervous that Jake and I would be preaching to each other today. It's such a delight to see your faces. Um, I say it every week, but I truly mean it. I love you guys, and it is such a joy that you would come and hear us bring you the Word of God. Incredible, incredible work of God. Let's pray and thank Him for this moment. God, I am humbled at this opportunity to bring your word on this cold but sunny day. Though the wind is bitter, the warmth of your Son delights our hearts. Now, there's so many things that could distract us when we come to worship. So many things that compete for our attention. Would you keep our eyes focused to delight in Christ, and to put our hands to the plow and not look back, and to invest all of our lives in your kingdom. Amen. This season of suffering that God has thrust upon my family has given me a couple of good months of being Mr. Mom at home, which works really well for coming up with sermon illustrations, and I'm glad my kids aren't here so I can use them as such. I've been spending a lot of time with my kids over the last couple of months, and God says that those who trust in Christ are adopted children, so we learn more about ourselves as children of God by having children among us. And one thing that's really caught my attention lately about my own kids, taking care of my own kids, is how they have this uncanny ability to be easily, easily distracted. No matter how big the prize is that's offered or the adventure that I promised them for the day, the littlest things grab their attention and distract them from getting their tasks done. So the other day, I woke them up telling them that we were going to go ice skating together. And this was something that they longed to do for a long time. For many weeks, we had spent lots of time looking for skates and waiting for the right day. But Because of circumstances at home and changes in the weather, we just could never make it happen. And then finally, one day, the planets aligned. The weather was great. Molly was feeling well. I said, today is going to be the day. I woke the kids up that morning and said, guys, we're going skating today. It's going to be so much fun. They were so excited to finally fulfill their heart's desires. All we had to do was get up get dressed, make our beds, eat some breakfast, a couple little chores, and we could be on our way to the adventure of the winter anyway. I thought with that prize dangling right before their eyes, they should be able to get their chores done in just a matter of minutes. But true to childlike form, two hours later, we're still struggling to get our beds made and get dressed. I walk into One child's room, and she's sitting on the floor in her pajamas playing with dolls. I said, come on, let's go. We're going to go skating. Get your stuff done. And I walk into another room, and there's another child on the floor playing with Legos while his bed's a disaster. And I go downstairs, and there's another one picking at her Honey Nut Cheerios like they're lima beans. Come on! Even with the promise of great satisfaction, For our heart's desires, we're so easily distracted by less than satisfying things. And so we regularly need to be reminded to stay focused. Set aside lesser things for greater ones. Don't let your attention get divided. And as children of God, we are prone to the same tendencies. And today's text is a reminder for us to stay focused on the task at hand. And set our eyes on greater pleasures promised to us. So let's take a look at the text in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. Jesus says here in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our text today is divided up into four sections that seem to be rather unrelated little pieces of wisdom, nice little nuggets of wisdom from Jesus, but they actually all work together to make one point. That is, for us today, to stay focused on the heavenly treasure. Our Christian lives should have a laser-like focus on the reward that awaits us in heaven. There's so many things in our lives that compete for our attention, but here Jesus urges us to stay focused on the heavenly treasure. In the first section we'll see how the Pharisees had a wrong focus. This ties in well with what Jake preached on last week. We'll look at that in verses 16 through 18. And then we'll jump into the heart of the main point in verses 19 to 21, investing in the kingdom. And then I think the last two points are sections, are subsections of that. They're explaining how our lives should look as we invest in the kingdom. So verses 22 and 23 illustrate what it means to have a clear vision of that heavenly reward. And fourth, in verse 24, we'll see that single heart devotion to obtaining that treasure. So we have four parts. no wrong focus, then second, investment in the kingdom, third, with a clear vision, and fourth, with a single focus. This first point is basically just a nice way for us to transition into this main point from what Jake preached on last week. So remember, last week, Jake emphasized the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in the first half of this chapter. The Pharisees would go out and give and and pray in such a way as to draw all this glory to themselves. And now the idea continues this week in fasting. Pharisees would go out and announce to the world, oh, I'm fasting this week. And they would disfigure their faces. They'd actually put makeup on their faces To make them look even more miserable, more hungry, and wail in the streets. Oh, I'm so hungry today because I've been fasting all week, you know. And they didn't do this so that God would hear them, but so that other people would hear them. And they would marvel. Oh my goodness, look how devoted to holiness these people are. These are the most holy people I've ever seen. And inside the Pharisees are going, yeah, that makes me feel good. But Jesus tells his disciples, don't be so focused on getting that attention, those accolades from other people, but focus on getting praise from God who sees everything you do, even the secret things. So if you do things in secret, in private, if nobody knows about it, God still knows, and then you can be certain that you're doing it for the right motives, for God's glory and not your own. It's interesting because giving... And prayer and fasting are three things that God designed for us to do to show our utter dependence upon him, to defer glory to him all the time. If I'm hungry, I'm always going, God, I need you to sustain me. If I'm praying, I'm saying, I can't do this. This is an opportunity for you to do it. If I'm giving, I'm saying, I don't need this because all I need is you, God. But somehow the Pharisees were able to twist these things into opportunities to steal God's glory for themselves. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't practice our faith publicly. Of course we should do that. There's no such thing as private religion. And we're a community, a family. We gather together deliberately in order to encourage one another to go out and live our lives faithfully for Christ. Jesus did say in the last chapter, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Plus, God says we're to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. That literally means love God with everything as deep inside of you as possible and show the world that you love him through every influence you have in the world. Everything you touch should reveal your love for God. So Jesus is really just making this shocking statement, warning us about the dangers of stealing God's glory for ourselves. The only praise we should be seeking is that from God, who says he's willing to share his glory as long as we give it to him first. So Jesus makes this bold statement to do everything in secret so that we can receive a heavenly reward from our Father. But the question is, what is this reward? What does it look like? Let's look at verses 19 to 21 to find out. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these previous warnings about giving and prayer and fasting are actually Jesus' warning to not lay up your treasures here on earth. That is, if you, like the Pharisees, do things just to get attention for yourself, just to show the world how great you are, then you've got your reward. That satisfaction is all the reward you will get. Accept your nice little pat on the back and go seek another earthly reward. But these things, compared to what God is offering us, they're nothing. They're like little Legos on the floor that distract my son when a fun day with dad is promised. Or as C.S. Lewis wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so Jesus tells us, seek the reward of your Father in heaven. And he begins to tell us what kind of reward that is. It's a treasure, a massive treasure set aside for us to enjoy. A treasure that's unfading, inexhaustible, can never be used up. A treasure that nobody can take away. Nobody can break it, eat it away, or corrode it. He's not saying that the things of earth are bad. He's simply emphasizing that when heaven comes to earth and makes all things new, that is going to be a far superior experience. Sometimes it is good to enjoy life and to get a good pat on the back. It's A pat on the back is sometimes encouraging to help us do more, to help us continue down the path of righteousness. But who would you rather have say, well done to you? Some stranger passing you on the street? Perhaps a beloved family member? Or the God of the universe? Can you imagine God saying to his people who are faithful to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If you give up all these earthly accolades in hopes of the heavenly ones, you don't just get a pat on the back from God. He says, Come in and enjoy my pleasures, my riches of the kingdom. What are these treasures? that we get to invest in when we pursue holiness to please God. Psalm 1611 says that God's presence is a place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. John 14.2 says it's like a large house filled with many rooms where you will be cared for for every need better than any place here on earth. Revelation 7.16 says we'll never again get hungry or thirsty or sunburned, it says. Revelation 21.4 says there'll be no more sadness or pain or death. We're even told throughout the New Testament that we get to reign with Christ over the earth. He's going to hand authority to his believers and say, have dominion over the land. Be my kings in this place. So much more than an admiring glance from a stranger. Investing in the kingdom of God is going to return afar more, far greater profit. But what does that look like for us now? What does investing in this treasure look like in the life of a believer? Well, verse 21 is the key to help us interpret the last two points. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So investing in this kingdom treasure, this heavenly reward isn't like making payments to some heavenly bank account where you show up to church and and you put money in the offering plate and somehow magically it goes up into an account set aside for you with infinite interest apparently. Or doing good things for your neighbor where you go shovel your neighbor out of their house, out of their driveway and somehow it credits you for heaven. You can't earn your way to the heavenly reward. In fact, everything you have has been given to you by God anyway. So you are in massive debt and you can't afford to invest anything in heaven. But Jesus still makes this connection between what your heart hopes in and where your treasure is. The things he's saying that you give your effort toward in this life. Reveal already what your heart treasures. So it's not that you can earn this treasure by setting your heart on heaven. If I look to heaven more, I get a better treasure. But because Jesus died or lived a perfect life, he lived. He's the only one that earned the treasure. But he died as a sinner in place of all who believe so that he could offer us his treasure. And then our lives will reveal as we gaze to heaven, as we look upon Jesus, will reveal whether that treasure is ours already or not. So that's the point of verses 22 and 23. Let's read those again. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is the part of the text that confused me the the most this week. I spent the most time on this going, what in the world is he talking about? I had to read it over and over again, but finally when I just move up one verse and use that as the interpretive key, I go, "Oh, now it makes more sense." It's so important for us to learn to read Bible verses with other Bible verses. This is totally a tangent. But there's a good book out there that's about this long that says, "Never read a Bible verse telling you Don't ever just read one section, but read paragraphs before and paragraphs after. I had to remind myself to do that this week to understand this text. So this is really, I think, just another way of Jesus saying where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way of saying the fruit of your life will reveal where your heart is rooted. So the eye, Jesus says, is the lamp of the body. It kind of sounds like he's saying that the eye or something nearly external is lighting up what's inside. But that's not really how a lamp works. A lamp is lit by the fuel inside. And if it's lighting up a room, you know it has enough oil inside for there to be a flame. So an eye that is properly working, setting its gaze upon God's glory and delighting in him, you can see already has the right fuel inside. So I imagined it like a projector. We use this projector down here on the floor to put our lyrics up on the screen. And really, all a projector is is a light bulb and a lens. It doesn't create any of the images up on the screen. It needs to be connected to a computer, a source of information, a source of the image. And so our eyes reveal whether or not we are connected to the source of truth. So what we spend our Time looking at what we set our eyes upon, what we give our attention to, reveals what captures the affections of our hearts. And so, Jesus calls us to a clearer vision. Set your gaze upon things that are far more spectacular than these little things that flicker on and off and grab our attention, these little lights that seek to distract us. Set your gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. That's the point of this last statement. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That had to be the most confusing thing I read all week long. Light is darkness? So the darkness is greater than the light? The point is that if your eye is captivated by anything any little flicker of light other than Jesus' glory, if your eye is captivated, drawn to just a little piece of attention that you can get over there, instead of this massively beautiful Jesus standing right in front of you, if your heart doesn't leap for joy when Jesus is proclaimed to you, your eyes are broken. You are in darkness. How great is the darkness if you can't see the glorious Jesus? The brightest thing in the universe is standing right in front of you, proclaimed every Sunday to you, and you're missing it. If that's you today, cry out to God to fix your eyes. To give you eyes to see so that you can see and savor how marvelous this Jesus is. If you don't delight in Jesus, it's not simply because you've got, you're a little smarter than the rest of us and you don't believe in such myths. It's because your eyes are broken. And only God's Spirit can transform them. So beg Him to do that for you. Really, it all comes down to a matter of allegiance. To whom or what are we submitting our lives to? What is the thing that we will focus all of our attention on? That's what Jesus says in in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is more than just About money. The word translated money means influence, material things, the things in your life that you have some kind of influence over. So the point is obvious. We owe our complete devotion to God, He should be the the object of every single one of our affections and the goal of every one of our efforts. This illustration might not have the, most, the best impact in our lives because for us, we could have two masters, two jobs. You could work two different jobs, a day job and a night job, and neither of your bosses care because as long as they, your hours don't overlap. And you could be a citizen of two different kingdoms as long as you respect the laws in both nations. But in the first century, if you were a slave, your entire life was owned. By your master. Everything you did, everywhere you went, everything you ate was under your master's authority. So it wouldn't make sense to have two masters. How could two people own you completely? You would be doing one thing for one person and the other is going, hey, I own you, come over here, and you're constantly pulled back and forth. It's impossible to do. And yet, that's where we are as Christians. The Christian is owned by Jesus. Paul calls us slaves of Christ. Everything we own, everything we do, everywhere we go is given to us, is a gift for us to use for his glory, to submit to his kingdom, to be used for his purposes. He's given us things like money and time and talents in order to invest them in the kingdom with laser-like focus, not to multiply those things here on earth to make our lives here better. So the question for us all today is, what are we going to do with all the wonderful things that he's given us in this life in order to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? What are we going to do with these wonderful relationships that he's given us? Or the knowledge that we talked about during Sunday school? The money and health That we have? Will we use it to build nicer homes and more popular ministries? Or will we use it to call others to enjoy this heavenly gift with us? As I thought about the application of the text this week, my mind kept coming back to what our purpose is at Redemption City Church. What what are we aiming for? We have so many of these wonderful opportunities with all of your marvelous gifts. And what are we going to do with them? If we want to have a clear, focused vision for this church, we better be sure that we're focusing that vision in the right direction and not get distracted with a lot of things that look like they are godly but can become a distraction. Churches spend all kinds of times doing good things, but good things that keep them from doing greater things. Even the Pharisees, they were doing good things, right? Praying and giving and fasting, but for the wrong reasons. We can easily turn our eyes from delighting in the beauty of Christ and calling others to delight in Him as well. One example of having this wrong focus can be a focus on doctrine. The Pharisees focused on good things like praying and giving and fasting, and we reform types, We can really be vulnerable to getting distracted by misusing knowledge. We can be all about getting things right, patting ourselves on the back for being the church that has our theology all nice, packed up and tidy. And if that's our goal, if that's our purpose, then we have already received our reward, our little pat on the back satisfaction for being the church that gets it right. That's going to be the extent of our reward for that faithfulness. We can spend a ton of time buttoning up our systematic theology in our Sunday school class. We can spend all kinds of we can spend two years trying to get the perfect constitution so there's no mistakes in there. Or we can let our doctrine and our study of the Bible light a fire in our hearts to glorify God and lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We must not let having a proper theology distract us by being the end goal, but let our study of the Bible transform us to love more like Christ loved us as his enemies. What better way is there to store up treasures in heaven than to proclaim to the world the treasure we have and invite others to join us in enjoying it? Our purpose in remaining here on earth is more than just gathering on Sundays for worship. You think about everything we do on Sunday morning. All of it is going to be way better in heaven. Our singing, our worship and singing is going to be so much better when we finally get glorified vocal cords, right? Some of you, I just make a joyful noise. It's a beautiful noise, but it's going to be far more beautiful in heaven. Our fellowship, we love having a potluck meal and I I hate to have Curtis call us to worship when everyone is just chatting and enjoying being a family together. But that's going to be far sweeter in heaven when finally the taint of sin is taken away. Our Bible studies are going to be so much better when our minds are finally completely renewed and you can just invite Jesus to your Bible study and say, hey, what did you mean by this? And he'll tell us our prayer life will be so much sweeter. You can go kneel down at his feet and look in his face and say, thank you for caring for me, for loving me. But in heaven, we'll never be able to increase our joy by inviting others to share in it who don't know Christ yet. Because there won't be any non-believers in heaven. Now is the time he has given us to increase our treasure by inviting others to enjoy it with us. And this means more than just posting an article or a quote on Facebook or wearing a Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy t-shirt. These things actually, to the world, seem to just set up more barriers. To other people who see us do those things, it's just another way that we are proclaiming that we've got things figured out and they don't. That we are more holy than they are. It makes us look more like Pharisees. Instead, we need to be boasting in our weaknesses. So that the world might see how glorious his power is in our lives. We need to be vulnerable, living, working, playing among non-believers. Sharing our lives with them enough to love them with both our words and our actions. And I know you guys are able to do that. Because you've done that for my family so much over the last couple of months. You have poured so much love into our family. And I am so thankful. But as we saw Jesus say at the end of chapter 5, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Anyone can love those who are kind to you. But will we be a people who does that same thing, extends that same love to those who aren't a part of us? we've got such an incredible opportunity as this little church. This little family of God has half a dozen people who want to be trained up and sent out as international missionaries. We've got a few guys, Jake and I met with a few guys this week, who want to go to seminary and be trained for ministry. We already have people who work in drug and prison rehab ministries. We have people who are trained in counseling and those who need counseling. We have this huge pile of children to train up to be ambassadors for Christ. Let's not waste this opportunity by spending all of our time making sure we've got the perfectly aligned children's programs. Or the best sounding worship in town. I think we do though anyway. Or being known as the church who always gets it right. Our name is redemption because we admit we don't always get it right. We aren't the best. But we serve a Savior who welcomes us in anyway. And uses us anyway. And sends us out into the world to proclaim a message of hope. That one day he is going to make things all right. Let us starting today, be a unified people whose vision is clear and focused on the task at hand of laying up treasures in heaven and inviting others to join us in enjoying them for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, what a joy it is to look out and see these faces and see all the ways that you have created them to invest in your kingdom, to lay up treasures in heaven. You have created these people with such marvelous capacity to glorify you and proclaim your love. Would you unify us now? Would you keep our eyes focused on Christ and our hands to the plow that we would become more like him and endure this life? in order to glorify you and one day step into your presence, receive that well-done commendation and enjoy your pleasures forevermore. God, we long for that day and now we eat and drink in anticipation of that day. We give of our treasures in anticipation of that day and we worship you, longing for that day to come. Lord Jesus, may it come quickly. Amen.